We are no one. We are everyone. And we are invisible. We convinced ourselves that they were gone. But they were just hibernating. They came for everybody. All police. Are we safe? I guess we have ourselves a reckoning. What are you two talking about? Oh, nothing. Just the end of the world. Hey, everybody. TikTok, TikTok. Welcome to We Watch Watchmen. Uh, this time we're going over episode three. She was killed by space junk. And uh, joining me in this alternate reality are uh, Watchmen enthusiast uh, Russ. I am an enthusiast. <laughs> Dangerous vigilante Rich the Chub Toe Hi, I'm a dangerous chub toad. <laughs> and a cameo appearance by our very own Aaron Newarth. I have my uh, briefcase ready, so let's do this. All right. Is it a silver kind with the glowing blue something in there? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, okay. yeah, they've got stuff. <laughs> Endorsed by the Silk Spectre. It's just the junk in my trunk. That's what can I, what can I say. Now, before, <laughs> before, I get, uh, too, uh, before I get too deep into the episode, I wanted to mention to our listeners... Uh, they should definitely be hitting up the PD- PDpedia over at HBO.com. Uh, Dale Petey, the, uh, the younger of the two FBI agents, the only one who's traveling with, uh, with Lori Blake, um, uh, has assembled like a bunch of uh, articles and things over there. There's some interesting stuff in there. For instance, there's, an, there's a letter there um, from Senator Keene's grandfather to Judd Crawford's dad uh, explaining, uh, giving him, talking about the painting in the last episode. Uh, explaining why he's entrusting it to him as a gift. And it is signed not only with the seal of the clan, but it's signed AKIA, a clansman I am, which was like one of their covert, yeah. like, like signs or whatever. So I guess there's some sort of things there. Um, it explains why there aren't any cell phones or internet. Mm-hmm. Be- because of the backlash of the squid, they thought that maybe, uh, there's been like a really, uh, anti-tech, uh, like a tech fear, as it were. Because some people think the reason the squid was brought to our dimension was because of our use of, you know, TV and radio waves and stuff. Uh, there's a, so that's why there aren't any cell phones or internet. It's also why Vite, uh, Arvit, uh, lost a lot of his money. Uh, I guess he didn't see that coming after the squid. And that's how, uh, Lady True, uh, was able to buy him out, uh, before he disappeared. Uh, there's also some backstory on, uh, on Dan Dryberg and, and Lori Blake. Uh, in their um, uh, career as the Night Owl and the Comedian, E-N-N-E, uh, which I thought was interesting. I mean, we see a lot of her father in her in this episode. But, again, if you want some... It's, in the original Watchmen comics, in the end of every episode, uh, or of every issue, they would have supplemental materials. You know, mm-hmm. they would have, like, you know, uh, part of Under the Hood or an interview with Adrian Vite or, you know, um, you know, all these different things. And this is kind of like that for this show. 
I thought, so, yeah, I, I thought we would have. I wasn't sure if we mentioned it already. I know it was on the first episode, but I don't know if it wasn't mentioned because I would have brought that up before because I was like, oh, there's the PD from PDPD on this week's episode. Right. <laughs> Dale PD. And boy, does he like his coffee. Anyway. So PD's basically like the inventor of the internet in this version of. In this in this reality, because right, he's like, it's, it's the, like concept, right. the concept is he's like loading all of this into like a public space. But since the Internet doesn't exist, it's like, I don't know where people are accessing this, but they're doing it, I guess. It's almost like a BBS without any phone in uh, any modems. You know, what I mean, it's like, he's, yeah, he's putting on a bigger system to, mm-hmm. as an archive. But yeah, super interesting stuff. Uh, like, didn't oh, didn't the squid appear in 1985, right? When? Mm-hmm that whole thing was done because didn't darpa and all that exist before then it did but yeah there's i'm not saying there's okay there's like early forms that yes it's evolved from there where but we keep saying <laughs> why do they have pagers why don't they have personal yeah. computers why don't they use the internet and then this is the reason um so this episode starts in a dr manhattan style phone booth um evidently uh, lady true true systems Mm-hmm. Set this up. Uh, it has a little rotating uh, hydrogen atom on top. It's painted in Dr. Manhattan blue. Um, but it's evidently a public thing because there's graffiti like all over the inside and stuff. It looks um, like an old phone booth. Yeah, it definitely does. It even has the uh, the, um, the old type receiver and the, the spiral uh, cord, you know, the spring cord uh, going to it. But evidently it allows you to talk directly to Mars. It's a groovy looking TARDIS. Okay. Or it's a really cool photo, Matt. Yeah. Um, the, the thing right away that caught me was the score kicked off, and I'm like, uh, every week, <laughs> like, this yeah. score is fantastic, but it's yeah. like, now we're kicking with this theme, and I'm just into it right away. And it came out, and I thought, like, you can buy this, the first volume of the score this week, which I immediately did, and I've been listening to it a lot. It's great. Soundtrack's but, been pretty killer, too. But, uh, but, yeah, it's, but yeah, the, the episode just like starts out with like this banging track for Blake, and I was like, I'm all into this. Yeah. And the way they weave it in and out. Like, it'll uh-huh. just yeah. stop abruptly and then start right back up at the right moment. It, for sure. It, it's really well done. Yeah, it is. Um, evidently, you could go into the small booth and pay to um, uh, you know, talk to Dr. Manhattan, or, or at least get it, um, you know, beamed to Mars. Um, uh, so she is uh, dials up, dials him up and says, "Hey, it's me." Uh, this is, by the way, Lori Blake. Uh, she has definitely taken her father's name in a big way, as we find out. And she starts to tell a joke to Doctor Manhattan about a bricklayer, who's obviously um, the bricklayer in the story is obviously her dad. At least that's how I took it, you know, because he was a bricklayer who was very, very good at his job and very precise at his job. And this is what he taught his daughter because it was the only trade he had. And his daughter was very good at it as well. And they end up with an extra brick. And, the, you know, the the, uh, the bricklayer doesn't know why because he's been very exacting the whole time. And the daughter says, I know, Daddy, I'll take care of it, and throws the brick into the air. And then this is what we call a shaggy dog story in, in the parlance of, <laughs> of, of, of comedy. In which case, you know, she's starting off with a story... Then we're going to have a lot of misdirection, but it'll come back to play later, obviously. It's a great, like, it's a great way to kind of structure this episode. And it's certainly, I mean, we'll talk about this, but this is a very, I mean, we're talking about a show called Watchmen, but this is a very Watchmen episode of Watchmen as yes. far as, like, really bringing in, like, the way the the, uh, the book is kind of designed or whatnot. Because this is just, like, 
what is it like a chapter three i guess yeah. like the, in terms of the comedian's funeral like this is all this has a funeral at the centerpiece of it but it's telling like multiple stories within the same thing like it's I thought this this episode's fucking fantastic, guys. I, 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 Aaron, I, as, as you know, as, as Jeebus says, my witness, I'm watching the episode. I know she's Lori Blake, and I l- literally said to myself as I'm watching it, "Oh my god, she's telling a joke." Mm. Yeah, because yeah. because of who her dad is, right? <clears throat> and like, and I'm, yep. I was like, uh, immediately, boom, you know. And I, at first, you know, the thing to Mars is kind of confusing. I'm like, why is there a phone booth to Mars or whatever? But but as soon as she, I'm like, oh my god, she is telling a joke. I mean, if anything tips us off to which you know parent she's definitely favoring now, it's definitely him. Um, we also um, we cut away to uh, while she's telling the bricklayer story, we cut back and forth to uh, a, a setup of a it's a it seems to be a bank robbery at first. Did this remind you of the bank robbery in the Dark Knight at all? Yeah, yes. a little bit. But a little, yeah, 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 a little bit. And, um, oh, Daryl's with us now. Hi, Daryl. Hello. How you doing? You finally got your spaghetti done. Awesome. I'm glad you could join us. Um, what really made me think of the Dark Knight was, um, we see Lori doing a bank robbery. She, like, grabs a hostage, and she's like, give me all the money now. It shoots into the air. And we see the smoke grenade go off in the alcove above the bank. And this guy, and what really made me think of the Dark Knight, not only the bank, was him doing that Christian Bailey voice. It's like, yeah, let, yeah. let the hostage go. It's over. You know, <laughs> that was um, that was Lee Turgeson, by the way. Uh, oh, character wow. actor. Um, he's among other things. He was on the Americans for a season. Yeah, was yeah. really cool there. But he's also um, one of uh, one of the guys from Wayne's World. Um, one of the, the one that's like, I love you. And Wayne's like, yeah, I love you, too, man. He's like, no, I love you. Like, he's <laughs> but, he was he, also on Bull this last week. <laughs> yeah, he gets around. He does a lot of like. He pops up in a lot of places. He's a good actor. And I was like, oh, he's Batman now. That's fun. <laughs> or Mr. Shadow. <laughs> Mr. Shadow, excuse me. Um, so is this is this what the FBI does in in, in this world? No, because like like if the analog to our world is is you know because it's like oh the FBI tipped you off that there was going to be a robbery so we could bust you like the FBI does things all the time with like terrorism right? It's like you you mm-hmm. find somebody that's you know that that leans that you know that way and then you know they they you know you know find out that they've got you know 17 tons of you know fertilizer in their in their backyard and then they bust them for you know making bombs or whatever it just it seems like instead of the enforcement going towards terrorism like it is for us their their enforcement is going towards busting vigilanteism yeah it's like an elaborate sting operation uh that's kind of Exactly what you just said. It's, it's, instead of focusing on radical terrorists in whatever way, it, it's it, going after masks. Um, it, it's funny. It just there. A movie just came out called The Day Shall Come. It's from the director of Four Four, uh, Four Lines, which I really liked. It's a comedy. It does. It's about that very thing. The FBI kind of putting the effort into give the means to certain kinds of people to catch them in the act. And so, like, that's what I was thinking of when I was watching this scenario of the most elaborate fake bank robbery you could watch just to catch this guy. Yeah. It, it's almost like they have to push people to act that way that normally wouldn't act that way. Exactly. Which and is a little suspect. Yes. <laughs> this is a little more cut and dry. But, it, 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 right. it, it dances around entrapment, basically. Yeah. That's yes. what I was oh, thinking. yeah. But the, the way she lays it out for him is hilarious as well, because mm-hmm. she's like... Uh, 
So how did you know we were going to rob this place? Did you maybe get an anonymous tip? Do you ever think maybe the FBI might have sent you an anonymous tip and we might be part of the anti-vigilante task force? The guy realizes, you know, slowly what is going on because every single person who was part of the robbery is uh, pulling out a badge, including the hostage. Yeah. <laughs> if we want to talk about, like, who, what side Lori's taken after, I mean, she's well adopted the kind of tone. <laughs> she's her father. Oh, yeah. The cynicism every, every last yeah. minute. Yeah, opposed, opposed to the comic where obviously, you know, she's not necessarily naive, but she's certainly on a different, you know, a different level as far as where her head's at versus where someone like the comedian was at the, at his, at his point. I mean, he died basically pretty early on, but I mean, the, everything we see. Uh, but with all of that said, Jean Smart throughout this episode is excellent. Like, oh, she's the, incredible. The work she does incredible. here is per- it's just perfect dry deliveries of every single line throughout this, this episode. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. She is, uh, she's pitch perfect through the whole thing. Um, Mr. Shadow's like, <laughs> and tries to get away. He knocks over one guy. And as he's trying to get through the door, Lori blasts him like three times in the back with her gun. And he goes down like a pile of bricks. And How did actually, you know his armor would stop him? That's the, the next quote I was going <laughs> well, to read. Everybody. Dude, I have like 13 pages of notes. I wrote down everything. <laughs> but yeah, that's my next line. How did you know his body armor would stop the bullets? <laughs> and she doesn't answer. Yeah, just slightly walks away. She just away. gives like a shrug. She gives a shrug. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. And well, I like she, how everybody stares at her first. All the cops stare yeah. at her. Yeah. And she goes, what? And she just walks away. Um, and that's when he asked. But you knew that it was weird. Like, you didn't have to shoot him. We all had him covered. It right. was just her thing. Well, are you going to argue with her? I wouldn't at that point. No. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> no. She uh, borrows someone's handcuffs and handcuffs Mr. Shadow to his gurney. Um, one of the people in the crowd behind the police line yells out, he's a hero. And she mm-hmm. replies, he's an effing joke. Mm-hmm. Again, more more pounding their way at the at the yes, we get it now. You know, he Well they even they even you know, do the Batman the joke. They even do the Batman joke when he's taking him out. They're taking him out the uh and wrapping up. One of the cops says, uh No, is that am I thinking of before when he says uh another rich That's later when Keen comes oh, okay. over. All right, I'm mixing it yeah, up. It's, right. it's coming up pretty pretty soon here. Um, we didn't. We then follow um, Lori coming home. This is when we see the title again. It's built into the <laughs> background. Yeah. Uh, she was killed by space junk. Is a song by Devo from the Art Question: Are We Not Men? Answer: We Are Devo album, which I'm a proud owner of and have loved for many, many years. Devo, one of my favorite bands. Play Devo. Uh, yeah, and she walks in and says, "Play Devo," and her CD player, uh, which is like a side mounted deal. Uh, uh-huh. Like one of those banging Olsons that look like, uh, from the, uh, you know, just starts playing. And, uh, that song is playing, you know, Space Junk. Um, it's also a callback to the graphic novel. Cause Lori says how much she likes Devo to Dan. Yeah. And then Dan, when he shows her the goggles later, is like, don't you think I look a little Devo? Um, so it's, it's another callback to the book, which is cool. So she still likes the Devo. She, uh, puts on a glove. Do we do we see that it's an owl yet when she feeds? No, feed, no, we see no. That she's we feeding something, right? Yeah, we just see it's a mouse. Yeah, I thought it was a snake at first. I was like, what? Right. Yeah, you, you couldn't tell. She, you see her put on a protective glove, and then you see her take the mouse out of the, the shoebox, right? And mm-hmm. then, um, and and you know, then you see her, you know, go to, up to the, the cage and feed him. Ooh. So you don't really get to see. 
uh, you know, who it is until who? Uh, later. That's what I just said. Who? Who it is, right. Who? And then uh, she sits down in her bed and very Tarantino-esque opens, <laughs> opens up her briefcase. Yeah. Uh, the silver, you know, one of those, you know, very important silver space age looking briefcases. And something is in there and it's glowing blue. Very blue. <laughs> now, before we, I mean, I'm not going to say what it is until we get the reveal at the end of the episode. But uh, what at this point did you think it was? Did you have I'm, any thoughts or ideas? I mean, I assumed it was Mar- some kind I of like. I thought it was Marcellus Wallace's soul. I, I figured it'd be some kind of like weird, like Manhattan tech or some memento that she had from him. Yeah, yeah something I like mean, that. I yeah. mean, like, <laughs> never was, thought it was. Yeah, it, like it was a memento. <laughs> I, I honestly yeah. thought it was something we'd never get the answer to. That could have been it too. I yeah. was very wrong. The number be, was, and the, the number of the combination was six six six. I'd be so annoyed if because it, it's like well, that's a literal mystery box. If they never told us, it'd be that that'd be too much. Unless like Lindelof is like purposely fucking with us. Like, see JJ, I can do it too. Anyway, <laughs> so we see her open up the case in the blue glow. We're not sure what's inside of it, but we hear a knock at the door, and she looks very annoyed. Yeah, <laughs> and then we. Hear another knock on the door. She says, "Stop, Devo." And then uh, Senator, it's Senator Keene. He's come by to talk to her. He says, uh, "In like full, job. in full Kyle Chandler mode at this point." Oh yeah, <laughs> and yes. he's like, "You know, good job on the, uh, you know, good job on getting the revenger." He's like, "She's like, I got the revenger last week. Today's mm-hmm. was uh, Mr. Shadow." And she goes, "Well," on, he, he says, "Well, on behalf of the American taxpayers, I want to thank you for chasing after these rich guys." Uh, playing rich assholes playing dress up. So again, another you know over Batman reference there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Dig it, Bruce. He uh, comes in. He asks if he can you know see what's in the cage, and she says, "Watch your fingers." And it's an owl. He asks what his name is, and she says, "Who?" Who? That's right. Her name is Who. Who? The, the owl's name is Who. Uh, Keen sits her down, talks about you know gets the brass tax. Uh, he's sending her to Tulsa. He kind of breaks down. Oh, I'm sorry. Real quick, yeah. She he tells he tells her about Judd being. He says Judd being hung, and she corrects him and says hang. And that's when I stood up, paused the show, and applauded because I correct people on that <laughs> all the time. Because in, in reference to people, it is hanged, not hung. <laughs> it's, it's it was the best. You, I was you like, might have she just became a picture, but you did not hang. hang a yeah, she just became right. Stannis the grammar Nazi in this episode. And I was like, <laughs> all know, right, I'm all into this sure right now. Now, now, you know. You know, evidently Dr. Manhattan was hung, but not hanged, right? <laughs> According to what we find out later. <laughs> yes, yes, that so, would be correct. Okay, I'm just making sure <laughs> yes. I got the correct, correct verbiage on all that. Okay, great. You Points saw how you. David Givens uh, drew that in that book. Anyway, <laughs> it was always cold, okay? Um, she's been, he kind of breaks down the situation for her. We get this awesome shot in the scene of her... Sitting in the chair and behind her is a war hall, or what looks yes. like to be a war hall, of yeah. Ozymandias, a night owl of Dr. Manhattan, and her, while he's talking to her. And while, you know, she's, uh, we also find out that um, the whole idea of uh, the cops wearing masks was his. It's called DOPA. Yeah. Defense of Police Act. Was everyone surprised that the, the world wasn't the same? That like, all the police didn't do that? Or did you think it was? Did you think it was just Tulsa? No, I thought it was just that? Tulsa. 
Okay. I thought it was everywhere. I mean, I didn't have I thought it was to think otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was everywhere, too. That was yeah. kind of like, but yeah. then it, like, I guess it it makes sense, I suppose. So. Um, yeah, I guess because they, they, only because of, you know, last week when they show that whatever happened was explicit to Tulsa. So. Mm-hmm. Do we, here's a question. In reference to the 7th Calvary, do we think that's a... I don't know, a militia very specific to this area? Like, I, I, I imagine 7th Cavalry is... Well, really I think, well, but they're well, like 6th or 5th Cavalry somewhere I think, else? I think that what, when uh, Keen says that... There's a point later after the attack and everything where Keen has this line about how the seven, you know, the Russians are the government's problem. I'm here in uh, Oklahoma and the 7th Cavalry are my problem. Uh-huh. So yeah. that makes me think it's an Oklahoma thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I also think that he's behind... Well, yeah, that's that's been heavily insinuated. Yes, I mean, oh, okay. If a twist is that Senator Keene is probably evil, the cat's out of the bag on that one. Well, no, I know that. I'm just saying, though, after when we get to the funeral, that whole thing was so staged until it went sideways. Oh, for sure. Yeah, check out PDPD, and there's like some connective tissue there between the Crawfords and the Keens going way back. Uh, um, and the racist and, uh, and the stuff, so. and the McCoys. And... Well, I don't know about them. They're not in there. <laughs> I'm not going to speak to that. Uh, Lori's not real happy about this assignment, uh, but makes a joke that in you know if this goes your way, you could you know you get to be president. And then uh, Keen is like, look, you know, a president could pardon anybody. A president could even get your owl out of that cage, uh, making a reference to Dan Dryberg, mm-hmm. who, according to what's going on, Pedipedia is still rotting away, <clears throat> rotting away in federal prison and has still not, like, ratted out or whatever Ozymandias and the rest of them. Like, uh, uh, the whole thing that the the squid was a hoax has mm-hmm. been pretty much relegated just to the Rorschach Journal, as we yeah, see in this a, episode. It's a right-wing conspiracy theory. Right, that's, right, yeah. exactly. It's a yeah. deep state. But, I, mean, that, yeah. they, I mean, that's, as far as I know, that's, that's, that's Dan Dreiberg. I mean, he's not going to yeah. give in on that kind right. of thing. Yeah. yeah, I assume that would be the case. It's not like, I, I can't imagine he's not being pressured because that's not like a, as you said, it's been relegated to a conspiracy theory. So it's not like the police are really like, tell us the truth about the squid. It's like they don't have a reason to think that's false to begin with. So he's just right. kind of just hanging in jail because he was. <laughs> well, I one, of the theor- one of the theories that I've been thinking about and after reading it online somewhere was that, you know, the squid situation happened in the 80s and that the the governments of the United States and Russia are continuing to dump the squids on people to keep them compliant, you know what I mean? And to keep, like, make sure the status quo maintains. Although we see, like, little cracks in that in this episode, like the Russians uh, trying to build their own intrinsic, you know, field generator and stuff. Right. Yeah, I have some other ideas, and I think we can get to that later, but as far as what's going on there. They want to make their own Dr. Moscow. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. Dr. Stalingrad. Um, so, and, uh, so Laurie says F in Oklahoma. And then we, uh, <laughs> we go back to her in a, um, Dr. Manhattan, uh, booth and is continuing her joke. And she says, uh, there are three heroes at the pearly gates, meaning God. And the first hero is uh, dressed like an owl. And he had this incredible brain, and God is like, what did you do with all, you know, this uh, mechanical and, and uh, technological gifts I gave you? And he's like, well, I built a really cool ship, 
and I beat up a bunch of bad guys, and I tried to save people when I could, and I helped out as much as I could, and, and uh, God says, how many people did you kill? And the owl says, none. I, I didn't kill a single person. And God says, ah, you're too soft to get anything done, and sends him to hell. Uh, we cut from that part of the, the joke to a debriefing at the FBI on the 7th Cavalry, uh, where uh, Commissioner Exposition goes over everything we pretty much know <laughs> up to this point. Um, Did you notice yeah. that she's the only female agent in the I in did. the room? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And nobody yeah. says anything to her about being late at nope. all? No, <laughs> not at all. And she... I mean, obviously, when when they had the bank robbery, there are other female agents. But I I assume that this table is like special agents or special agents in charge or um, the leadership of whatever subdivision of the bureau that that they're at. And she pretty much is like writing her own ticket because yeah. when she when she says you know because the chief wants to say I mean I'm jumping a little bit ahead but it kind of relates to this point but you know the chief says oh well you know you're all going to leave and and go to Tulsa and she's like no. You know, but I'll take him, and nobody balks at it. So it's yeah. it's it's a real interesting well, power dynamic. The yeah. fact that she's the only woman, yet she seems to definitely be in a well, position of well. Of plus, power. she gives a good idea, right? Or she has of a course. good idea why? Because she's like, of course. oh, and they're gonna clam up if you rain down a bunch of suits on them. Just send me, you know, and I'll get down there and be able to talk to them one on one. So that makes sense. Um, I do like the part where um, there's a part here where Dale PD uh, is running the slide projector. And he puts up a page from uh, Rorschach's journal. Yes. And the director is like, what is this? And he goes, oh, it's a page from you know, Rorschach's journal. I thought it would be good for deep context. And he goes, Petey, is it the 1980s? <laughs> and he goes, no. And he goes, then who gives a shit about Rorschach? And they move on, <laughs> <laughs> and they move on to, the, to the next slide, right? Enraging I that a little bit is like a wink and a nod to maybe the audience, too. Oh, like, yeah. right, exactly. Uh, yeah, that was going to say. Enraging the incels watching the show. <laughs> well, it made me think, too, of Alan Moore when he would say that people would come up to him at signings. One of the reasons he stopped doing signings is that people would come up to him back in the 80s and say, oh, I'm just like Rorschach. I so, uh, you know, I so identify with that character. And Alan Moore was like, good, can you go over there, please? Because that frightens uh-huh. the hell out of me, you know? Like he was supposed to be some aspiration yeah. or something, you know? So I thought that was nice. And then he shows the picture of Judd. He goes... There's their police chief uh, up in the tree, H-A-N-G-I-N-G. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was pretty hilarious. Um, but uh, Blake wants to, like like uh, Russ said, Blake wants to go alone and uh, ends up bringing Petey with her. Um, what, do you, the, what do you think oh, she took Petey for? Dan. I thought, Dan, I thought it was a nice little kind of... Reminder of Dan. Nerdish Dan reminder of Dan. I, mm-hmm. She would be more for, comfortable with the nerdy guy mm-hmm. a little bit. I thought it had to do with the fact that he brought up Rorschach's journal. I don't know why. It's just that's what drew me to why she picked him. Like right. well, we see throughout the episode, like she, you know, she's pushing his buttons or whatnot. But do you oh, think yeah. she sees something in him as far as potential, or do you think? Because I, I, I'm leaning more towards zero, just like a nice reminder. And yeah, he's capable. And he's smart. That's yeah. That's, yeah. that's Damn, Either that, or he's—if you think about it too—he's the only other one in the room, in the one in the room with no suit on, and mm-hmm. he's just kind of standing there. Maybe she thought she could take somebody that's quote backup, but not 
not one of these macho yeah. you know jackholes that's gonna right. you know try somebody and should take easily yeah. somebody should easily tell what to do too yeah, you know, somebody yeah. definitely oh, below yeah. her on the totem pole you know um yeah who gives a I love, that was one of my favorite lines of the episode mm-hmm. uh, on, on they're on the plane together the FBI plane to Tulsa. And as they're on the plane, they look out the window and they see the structure called the Millennium Tower. Mm-hmm. That's been built by Lady True, who's the new character who we'll see next episode. And uh, they, they ex- he explains a little bit of that. You know, PD fills in some of the backstory about True took over a lot of um, Vite's uh, businesses when they were starting when they were going under in the late '90s because he didn't he failed to see the upcoming trends uh, after the squid attack and stuff. Which I, I find hilarious that like in the in the sequel series, Vite went broke. Like, that just makes yeah. me laugh because he's mm-hmm. so he's so arrogant in the watch. Yeah. So the idea that he's like not only is he broke, he's he's imprisoned somewhere else. <laughs> well, plus well, it's, I think it's, my it's, theory um, got proven this week. My theory of where he's okay. at. So. Well, plus I mean it was he couldn't see the repercussions of his own thing. Like the reason. No. The, the fear of tech came about was because of his squid attack and he didn't see that coming and couldn't, you know, um, you know, capitalize off of it. And that's why he lost his money or so it's, you know, well, they pulled all the, in the back matter, they pulled all the, 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 uh, car chargers because they didn't want to use the battery tech he came up with because yeah. they were afraid that it was, it, it was Manhattan tech and that it would basically, you know, cause people to get cancer. So they they came up with a whole new system of battery power cars that needed different chargers, which you didn't see coming. Yeah, yeah. The the back matter also mentioned though that like I guess after he kind of went through that period of being broke, that he kind of made a resurgence with his cloning technology. So yeah, his mm-hmm. genetic engineering and his animal, his pet cloning. I think they said in the background thing, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and his and his hit animated series, My Little Bastus. <laughs> Saturday, Saturday morning, morning Watchmen. That's right. Yes. Can't wait. Rich, um, but Pete, did you explain the theory last week that I did not hear? Or you just have one I, personally? My theory is that uh, Vite is imprisoned in a small, uh, like, fishbowl, in a way, on Mars by Dr. Manhattan. We have uh, the same theory. <laughs> so, and when, here in a little bit, when he suits the guy up and ties a rope around him, he's not shooting him into space, so obviously he went outside of that dome. And that's what happened to him. So that's he's on. I, I, I came. I I did not hear what you had to say before, but I also had a similar. I have, I have the same theory. So we'll, we'll yep. see what things play out. But we're on the same yeah. page. Yay! <laughs> <Wow>. For once. <laughs> All right. Um, we're still on the airplane with Laurie and PD. Yeah, there's, there's a clock somewhere. We don't know what it does, but it's, it looks big. It's huge. <laughs> and uh, and PD, uh, you know, quotes the poem Ozymandias. Um, you know, look upon my, my works, ye mighty in despair as something that Lady True said at the, uh, dedication of the Millennium Tower as kind of, you know, a clap back to, to, to Vite. And, um, you know, he's kind of like asking questions or whatever. And finally, Lori looks down and is like, do you want my autograph? <laughs> and yeah. He, he was kind of fanboy in there a little bit, you know, for Well, he for wore that mask, too. He, he brought the mask. He brought his own mask, but it had holes in it, right? Yeah. Like, Laurie had one for sleeping, and 
She's like, you put that, put that away. You're an FBI agent, not the goddamn Lone Ranger. Yeah, she, she, goes, she goes, you're not a Tulsa police. You're a federal agent, not the Lone fucking Ranger. Right. Yeah, every every chance the show could go overboard as far yeah. as the kind of references they're making or whatnot. It's like Smart like has the right dialogue to really bring it back down, which yeah. I really yeah. Do you oh, think he, she was irritated to, by the mask? He, no, because he gets to use the mask later. No, but I think at first, do you think she gets irritated that she that uh, mask is close to her father's look on the... I think that's way. part of it. I, I think yeah. she's just like, this idiot. <laughs> like, it's well, a love-hate thing. I think well, it's, I was going to say, you might, be, you might be right, Daryl, because later he has the mask on. Yeah. In that bed together, right? Yeah. Yep. It's like, well, I think it's, I mean, she knows the weight of the things that are involved here, mm-hmm. where he doesn't. So, like, having some, you know, a rube like kind of quote things yeah. and bring up, you know, things that are very near and dear to her heart or substantial things that altered, altered history. You know, she's not going to, she's going to put on, you know, the whole droll, uh, take this person down a notch type of, uh, attitude as opposed to like endearing herself to him. Right. I just thought that was a great cut. Yeah. Do you want my autograph? Oh, it's great. Yeah. The dialogue is <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> oh yeah. And then he explains, you know, I'm, I'm not about all this, you know, acting like someone famous isn't, because obviously I know who you are. You know, I, I did my thesis on the police riots that you and Dr. Manhattan were involved in, in the 70s. You know, I and I have a, and before I became the AV geek in the FBI, I was a PhD in history. So that's, uh, you know, kind of his comeback to her. So, you know, he's like, don't don't confuse me for some, you know, fan. <laughs> and he says to him, like, like he just was dripping off his tongue, you know, like a fan, yeah. And then he's like, enough of a resume for you. And she's like, no. And then they go fight Terminators together. I didn't <laughs> see that movie yet, so I didn't get the reference. It's in the anyway, trailer. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, and Lori's like, yeah, I knew Vite. Just like you. Not a fan. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you could see her tone yeah. oh, changes, yeah. too. What, what Aaron was like saying fear? about Gene Smart earlier was so, I mean, so, so lacking in this. So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was almost like a little hint of fear in in what she was saying. It's like anger, disgust, and and a little bit of fear. Yeah. Uh, Lori is going on with their joke. Uh, the second hero at the uh, the pearly gates is the smartest. Has smarts. You could say he was the smartest man in the world. So obviously she's talking about Ozzy. Um, God said, "What did you do with all these brains I gave you?" And gave you, and he said, "Well." I saved the world from itself. I saved the world from nuclear annihilation. And God was like, well, how many people did you kill? And he said, and she says, three or four million, give or take. God says, you're a monster. And sends him to hell. Um, Petey and Lori, as uh, she's telling the story, we transitioned to them going to the warehouse. uh, that The Tulsa police uses their interrogation center. Uh, Pirate Jenny and Red Scare are in the middle of an in, quote-unquote interrogation. <laughs> this she, this part is the, this is my favorite Gene Smart part of the whole episode. Yeah, she walks up and goes, "Hi, you guys, having fun?" And she, and they're they're like, "Who the hell are you?" She pulls out her badge and she goes, "It is such the tone that even her father had." Yeah, kind of, you so know, sneering and sarcastic. Yeah, so my favorite part though is when. 
She goes, excuse me, sir, are your civil mm-hmm. rights being violated? And he's oh, like, right, right. yes, ma'am, yeah. they are. And he goes into this whole spiel, and she's like, yeah, yeah I'm I kidding. Was, I, 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 I was yeah, just kidding. I, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, I don't give a shit. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I don't care. Here's yeah. just, just for my own clarification, the DOPA, the Defense of Police Act, that's why they can be in masks in Tulsa, right? That's why they can mm-hmm. operate like as semi-vigilantes, even though they're right. actually detectives. Like that's right. the Okay. I just wanted to be clear on that. It's like, what? So she can't arrest that? Yeah, because they're protected it, by law there. And that's what This really broke it for me. This this really expanded the world without, mm-hmm. you know, like, in, in terms of, I really thought everybody in law enforcement was, had the right, you know, they, they were using masks. I really thought it was a big uh, attack all over the United States. I really did. Yeah. I thought it was like a large militia to yeah. react the way that they did. So this really... Again, this changed. This is what is only the third episode, mm-hmm. and it really changed my outlook of the show again. Where it's not that it's a smaller world. Like Tulsa really is a smaller world, and the way that she she kind of brings a, a the rest of the world kind of outlook on that town, and she makes everyone seem so small. You know, even by the way that she reacts and the way that she looks at you know this whole thing of mask and stuff. I mean, it was. Really interesting to see her be that way, and she even made it seem ridiculous at, at one, you know, a little bit at well, one yeah, point. I mean, that- she she existed in a time where there were more of these things. There were these people. I mean, she was trained to become one of them. She yeah, almost joined yeah. a team of them before that disbanded immediately. Right. She was literally sleeping with the most powerful person in exi- thing being in existence. Right. So it's like right. seeing a bunch of cops in Tulsa playing dress up. Not going to impress her. Like I get not it. at all. Yeah. yeah. I can see her where she'd be nonplussed for sure. I mean, you know, this is all old hat to her. I mean, she's anti-vigilante. And, you know, what she says to Angela later, you know, what's the difference between a, a cop with a mask and a vigilante? And Angela's like, I don't know. And she goes, neither do I. So, again, like Aaron is saying, you know, not impressed. Um, but uh, Jenny and Red Scare lead her through the interrogation area. And there are dogs and everybody's blindfolded. And they're taking cotton swabs out of people's mouths to check their DNA. And uh, as she walks up to the pod, um, Looking Glass is uh, finishing an interrogation, and uh, the guy's walking away, and they have to put a blindfold on on him, even though he's been cleared and he hasn't done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they take him off. And, uh, <laughs> and Lori's like, uh, you know, I know there are a lot of people in line, but can I just jump ahead? <laughs> <laughs> This is a, like it's you know it's fine seeing her talk with like other actors in the cast, but like between her and Tim Blake Nelson, eventually oh her God. and Regina King, it's all gravy oh, as far so as just great. seeing like great actors interacting with each other. Yes, plus the way these characters would play off each other. Exactly. Like, yeah. When they go into the uh, they go into the pod, he, she immediately grabs the remote mm-hmm. and is like, "Oh, what's this? This is neat." And then he says, you know, starts to explain, and she goes, "Oh, it's a racist detector." And he says, that's, that's an oversimplification. Um, and then she says, um, well, let's talk, you know, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's cut the crap, uh, Wade, or would you prefer detective? And uh, as he's, uh, he does that, he pulls his mask off mm-hmm. to talk to her. Uh, not all the way off, though. Just over his, no. his eyes, yeah. Well, I mean, he's got to put it back on again. It takes an effort. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, well when you put a mirror I, on your face, people are going to use it. Yeah. yeah. But well, what I, I like... Mention, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I forgot to mention, before he takes the mask off, 
they show him with a, like a a, a, um, a a cloth or something like, <laughs> like mopping his brow. Yeah, mopping his brow with the mask still on. Yeah, that was so hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, how the hell does that work? You know, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Daryl. I, I mean, but it, that's it. I mean, just real quick. He, if he can see through it, that's got to be. You know, I assume it's, it's permeable. permeable enough yeah. for him to yeah, right. through that he can sweat really, through it too. Really but it, it's just the, the image of it was was yeah, it is funny. funny. Yes, <laughs> but it's cool how he she disarms him already because he doesn't even like when he pulls that mask up over his mouth. It's almost like him saying, "I relax a little bit." Yeah. I won't do the shtick. I won't mm-hmm. do the shtick of being that guy. Because she, he does it with, you know, he does it with Regina King's character. Every time he's around her, he takes that off. Um, and so when he did that with her, it's like already she got him to be that way. She's, he's like, you know, this whole thing, I don't care about this. Just, just start talking. And I like how disgusted and perturbed he gets when she calls it a racist detector, and he's just yeah. like, uh, like, I'm not impressed by this. I'm not impressed by this. That's yeah. a very simplified explanation. Like it's yeah, there's he's just he's just like super annoyed with the fact yeah. that you know this this I, I don't know if he had anything to do with the creation of this machine, but he obviously it's his it, thing. It's, right? it's yeah, she it's ran, an important she tool ran for him. With Doctor Manhattan, this does not no. impress her. You know? No, that's not the point. It's just, it, no. Point, well, no, I know. It's it's his delivery of the right. fact guys, that he's just disgusted with t- her being dismissed. You're, you're totally glossing over her main move of dominance here. She yeah. took his remote. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the yeah. first first thing yeah. she did when she walked in there. Ooh, what's this? And grabbed the remote and wouldn't hold on and wouldn't give it back to him until he explicitly asked her to return it after yeah. he'd taken out of his mask Please. and stuff. Please. And asked her, Please. Um, she did the Col- it's funny because she also did the Colombo way of doing things, right? That, yeah, that's he, what Colombo does. She's got a lot of just one more thing type of yeah. Uh, I get on your nerves. I I get on your nerves right away, and then you're already flustered, right? She and totally, then you, she, yeah, she does that to Angela later too. Yeah, yeah, yeah she totally, totally does, and it works. I wonder if there was something of that went into it. That also. scene like, later with Regina King though was fantastic. It's a it's a um, lot of good like PI type of situations mm-hmm. that she puts herself in and how she plays up a naivety to kind right. of like get into it but then she like immediately drills down like it, it's fun it's very fun it's very fun to watch i love it it's great act i'm just i know we've been you know gushing all over like how good the acting is with gene smart in this episode but man it's but it's her but I, mean, I think that's important though because the first two episodes we we always see the regina king's character's kind of outlook it's it's been her kind of her show right so yeah. this is the first time where it's not even about her it's it's, it's totally about Lori in this. Right. And so it is important. It is important. Lori. They set her up very quickly. They totally. set up how her personality is. They set up uh, her quirks and how she does things and how she, like Regina King's character, kind of sets up the room because Regina King, remember how when she walks in that room, she goes into the captain's uh, de- you know, uh, office and puts her feet on her on his desk. Yeah. No one else does anything like that. Like, and she, again, you know, and Laurie goes in, touches people, you know, touches the, the remote, not impressed by the big, uh, racist detector kind of thing, which is a, probably a big deal because it's his thing mm-hmm. in that town. You know, and you probably got a lot of stuff about how impressed people are about that thing, but she knocks oh, that all down. Yeah, it's it's so, undermining it as much dude, as under, undermining, you know, like... Boats your castle on Mars, you know, I mean... Right. 
But yeah, I get, I get what you mean. It's it's a dominance move. Like when she takes the yeah. remote and, and by like you know putting down his like you said, uh, Aaron, his thing. You know, um, she questions him about uh, the uh, the information that they got about the cattle ranch raid and who uh, who got that information. And she goes, "Did you do that here in the racist detector?" And, she, <laughs> and he says, uh, "No, that was uh, 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 Sister Knight got that information in a subsequent interrogation." I would that was a cute way of putting it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, Laurie says, Sister Knight, you mean Angela Abar? And uh, he's like that, that. He pauses. It's like a long present pause, and then he, he nods and says, that's correct. And uh, she's like wondering why, uh, you know, he mentions that she's not there because she's writing the eulogy for the, the funeral. It's in about two hours. And she said, uh, why was there no autopsy? Why was there no tox screen? Um, and he said, no need, uh, you know, we knew what killed him. And she says, well, that's very interesting for an ongoing you know, murder investigation that you wouldn't do those things. Um, she tells you, and she says, I well, if I'm going to the funeral. I better wear something darker. And she's already wearing black. So again, another little joke. Mm-hmm. Um, they show her stopping at the black freighter motel. Now I'm sorry. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I get the reference. But would you want to stay at the Black Freighter yeah. Hotel? Uh, no, I did not catch that that was the name of the hotel. I yeah. did not see oh, that. Yeah. Like, I, are the beds made of lashed together corpses, like in the comic? Or, I or get or... the Black Freighter references later in the episode, but I didn't mm-hmm. see that one. Yeah, that's the name of the motel. And we see the electric car chargers in front of the motel yeah. as well. Um, we then go back to Lori telling her story. She says, you know, the third guy at the gates of heaven, the pearly gates, is blue. Strolls around with his dick hanging out. <laughs> um, glowing, and he, he, uh, you know, it's pretty much God himself, you know, just as God like as God. And, uh, they have, he has a conversation with God, and uh, he says a live body and a dead body have the same amount of particles, the same number of particles, there's no difference. Which is a direct quote from the comic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Dr. Manhattan, you know, you know is, a, is obviously, you know, the blue character here. He says he knows he's going to hell because he's already there. He's already happened. It's already happened in his, you know, in his subjective, you know, timeline or whatever. So God snaps his fingers and he goes to hell. Well, and hell here is an allegory for prison because each of them are in their own prison of their own making. I don't know if Dan Dreiberg would agree with you. No, I, I kind he's, of took it's it. his choice to not give up the goods and everything else. So he's he made his bed and he's lying. Yeah, but I I took it as also you did good. You know, like you think you did the the thing of good. You still it still went to shit anyway. No, you I did. got that too. But yeah, I'm saying though good. is each one of them. Manhattan's imprisoned himself on Mars. Mm-hmm. Dreyberg is imprisoned literally, and then. Um, v- Right, is, uh, is imprisoned on Mars as well, I think. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. Right. But the greatest thing about this joke, and we'll get, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, is that the end of this joke is a perfect metaphor for Lori's character in the comic. Yeah. Yeah. Because she says, I was behind these guys the whole time. You didn't notice me. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> yep. It was beautiful. I just, I was just like, oh my God, that's brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. Um, Judd's funeral. Is taking place at the unfortunately named Tartarus Gates. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, given the given the, the type of joke being told, I thought that was a little fitting. 
Yeah, yeah, I get it, but like, we, I don't know if I'd want to bury my loved one at Tartarus Gates. Yeah, no, no, no. There is a nice shot of a um, of a uh, stone angel too. Uh, this is a reference to you know Watchmen uh, uh, issue two. Uh, yeah, I went back and I was like, man, I'm pretty sure this was episode t- or issue two in the comic with the funeral, but I was like, was it was it issue three? So I I, I went back and opened up the absolute, and I'm like, no, it was it was. Uh, it was issue two because I was like, man, that would be interesting. Is is if it yeah. was issue three and this is episode yeah. three, if the, a little parallel, but yeah. Well, I mean, the, the funerals are obviously parallel, you know. Sure, sure. No, yeah. Yeah. Um, Laurie meets Angela uh, as Angela's making her way to the uh, the funeral. And they're already kind of adversarial, like yeah. they're being very you know pleasantries and stuff. And laws were out. And uh, she knows Cal's name and stuff. And Cal's mm-hmm. like, do I know you? And she goes, no, no. And, uh, you know, Angela insists like she does before, did before that she had retired from the police force. And uh, Lori's like, right, we know. Yeah. You know? As, as if, like, you know, it's an open, again, an open secret. It's a warring, right, of, of personalities. And plus, Angela's probably thinking, should I trust her or not? Like, what, you know, like, trying to read her. They're trying to read each other. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice moment of it. It's, you can almost feel the energy in that room as they're going at each other, mentally just going at each other, reading every little answer, eye movement, you know, facial expression. Yeah. It's and an I'm amazing assuming, scene. I'm assuming that Angela knows who she is. I mean, I'm assuming Lori's reputation precedes her. One would think. She is you would, famous. Yeah, you would think that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but she gives her, uh, Lori gives Angela her card, and as soon as Lori walks away, Angela throws the card away. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, Judd's wife invites Angela to come up and give the eulogy, and Angela explains that uh, after what happened on White Night, they wrote down what they wanted the other person to read if one of them died before the other. So what Judd had written down for uh, Angela was to sing Gene Autry's The Last Roundup. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like does. his last joke. It's la- his last joke for her, right? To make her sing, yeah, an old cowboy song, right? Yeah. Um, while she's singing, we see a seventh cav member burrowing uh, through a crypt, and he's wearing the bomb vest we saw last episode. And we hear rolling. the ticking. Yeah, and we hear the ticking. There's a really nice touch there. Um, he comes out of the, the crypt and tries to take Keen hostage. Uh, he says that, you know, he has a, a dead man switch connected to his heartbeat. And if the, if they try to kill him, they'll set off the bomb. And like Rich said, it looked really staged. Oh yeah. It did. Like it was, uh, you know, a setup to make him look, you know, even all uh, except for the actual bomb going off part. Cause I mean, yeah. just the way the guy was holding the Senator and, mm-hmm. and, and the way he was delivering his dialogue, it was like they acted it out before it was rehearsed, you know? Oh, it was so presidential. Yeah. Uh, yeah it, seemed very, it seemed very like that to me, too. Very yeah. While he's saying, you know, while he's going through his demands, we just see a bullet go through his brain, <laughs> and we see Lori Blake with her service revolver, even though she's supposedly given it up to the security when she came in. Evidently, she had another one stashed away. She had well, the one... I- she strapped it to her her ankle. Right. Yeah. 
she's the one thing that they didn't. If if it is staged and planned, you know, all the police are not supposed to have their firearms, so it'd be the perfect place to to stage it if it is. And uh, the one thing they didn't keep, they didn't think of is, is her being there and not following the rules. Except for but, he's the one who brought her there, you know. Keen has yeah. got her yeah. into Oklahoma. Yeah, he did not see that she wouldn't yeah. follow those rules at all. Right. So uh, as soon as she shoots him, you hear the beeping. And this beeping gets a little faster, a little faster. And uh, Lori looks stunned, and Angela just says, Run! And everybody runs. And Angela grabs this dude and starts dragging him over to the, the coffin hole. Yeah, she is the grave, she's my grave hero. Hall. She's my hero. Here is my question. Mm-hmm. I'm back. Nobody there could see what she was doing. They and just helped her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just left. Nobody. None of those people could be. No. Oh, she's trying to drag the body in the hole. I'll help. No. You know. No, nothing did. Nope, they left her alone to do it. That's so. that fight or flight instinct. You know? Yeah. And that and kind I mean, of shows her, like that, that kind of. But shows she's a hero, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, I mean think about last week when we saw the um, the White Knight take place. Uh-huh. I mean, it's not like you know she 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 immediately like got the lights off, did all these moves before mm-hmm. she got in the kitchen to keep make sure her husband was safe and like right. herself protected and be ready to ambush this other. Like she's you know, which is uh, of the people she, that that um, that uh, Sally is impressed by. Angela's mm-hmm. certainly one of them. <laughs> what yeah. what, we, what we call her in the industry is a badass. Hey, Lori, Lori, right? sorry, Lori, sorry, I always Lori. But, that's because of her mom. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Angela, is such a, I'm sorry. No, well, ahead, Angela is such a contrast to the others. Like Red Scare, the episode we saw last week, they're all bruisers, right? It looks like the other masks are bruisers besides uh, yeah. uh, one of the. Looking glass, but all the others are just bruises. They want to beat down. They want to fight. But when it comes to protecting people, she's shown it because they I wondered why did they make that point of showing her grabbing looking glass? It wasn't even a thought because the guy was going to attack looking glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, last episode, she right. grabbed looking glass out of the way first. Like that yeah. was her first reaction. It's not even a, a thought. It's her instinct is to protect. And I and I wonder if this is the a foreshadowing of whatever she decides to do towards the end of this uh, particular show, it's probably going to be an act of protection for others again. Yeah, I can understand that for sure. And I mean, she's the one that's she's clearly the one that's capable of like doing this job. The one that's that yeah. Specter had at one point. Like yeah, Ethan Glass, yeah, yeah. he's certainly you know he's he's a smart guy. He's not a field guy. You can see that. No. Like he's not a guy. He's not the guy going out in the field. He's he's um guy in the chair you know right. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. right uh, then the rest of them are just yeah they're bruisers like you said they're like that's that that's what they're doing she you know she occupies a different space and she and i, I and obviously game recognizes game in that matter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah angela's more like wendy briscoe and uh uh looking less is more like vincent d'onofrio and yeah law and order terms <laughs> yeah. break it all down to break it all down to wolfian terms mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Um, anyway, Angela drags the body of the bomber as the beeping gets louder and quicker uh, into the uh, the grave site, and then, um, as hard as she can, pushes uh, Judd's casket on top of him and runs. Even more smarter and, to do that, right? To to cover up the body with even more. Yeah. Of or as somebody mentions later, a convenient way to get rid of the body so there's no autopsy. 
Yeah. yeah the, I mean, that that's was something that Laurie mentions later. That was on her mind, though. Yeah. Like, as much as you no. can say that, like, that's not a thing that was on But her that mind. was a test. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was kind of, right. uh, I'll right. say that well, to test it. Yeah, it's just to piss her off. I mean, it's a jab. I mean. It's a jab, yeah. Well, from the outside, you know, I could see her seeing that. Yeah. Uh, then we cut to uh, Desmond Decker and the Aces playing the Israelites, one of my favorite songs of all time. This is also a callback to the back papers mm. of Watch of Watchmen number six, uh, where Adrian Veidt talks about getting into Jamaican music. In the interview, it's like a Playboy interview with yep. Adrian Veidt. He talks about getting into Jamaican ska and stuff. And this is some of the finest old school ska there is. Um, uh, Vice working on some sort of environmental suit. Like, <laughs> he's waxing like skin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They show him sewing. And then they show him like waxing leathers. They show him cutting the top of a terrarium off with like a glass cutter. It's glass almost cutter. like a Looney Tunes interlude. Yeah. Which I, <laughs> I think that's the clue to he's in a terrarium. I think that that's foreshadowing I mean, of where he, he is. Yeah, I mean, even if he doesn't end up being on Mars, I mean, he's imprisoned. So I mean, that's yeah, pretty, right. But it's a, a pretty yeah, easy yeah. metaphor as well. <laughs> True. I have an I have an alternate theory to him being on Mars. Anyway, we'll get to it in a minute. We we see him making this environmental suit. He's waxing skins and sewing and everything, and taking like pieces of armor off an old suit of armor in his uh, castle, and he has a Mister Phillips with him. And he's like, are you ready to make the great leap into the great beyond, Mr. Phillips? <laughs> he's like, of course, Master, I guess. You know. I see him tie, tie a rope to Mr. Phillips, and then... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, just, I haven't mentioned this, but the Phillipses, they're played by Tom Meissen, who was yeah. the yeah, star yeah. of Sleepy Hollow, which I did a podcast for with Brandon and Brandon Peters and Maxwell added with the Ichapod uh, Crane cast that was on the yeah, HWLD Network. <laughs> It's like our friend Callum Reeve says, it all comes back to Watchmen. <laughs> Everything comes back to Watchmen. TikTok. Um, we see him tie a rope to him. We don't see how he uh, is getting sent to the great beyond or whatever. They cut to Mr. Phillips, you know, getting ready to be launched. The thumbs up to a frozen corpse of Mr. Phillips on a grassy knoll where, uh, uh, where he was launched from. And Vike gets really mad and starts stomping <laughs> up and down and saying, shit, 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 and stomping up and down, stomping up and down. Yeah. Have we, have it, we talked um, about this? What do we think of Jeremy Irons' Vite accent? I, I don't mind it. Jeremy like Irons it. is one of those English people that sometimes I'm like, do they really have an English accent or do they not have an English accent? Yeah. Like, he's one of those people that I think has a subtle English accent, even when he's talking. There's times when he's purposely, I think, it, it sounds like he's trying to speak with an American, you know, accent. And then, and then, but there's certain words he say that are clearly British. So. Oh, yeah, it's a kind of what the um, the North Atlantic kind of thing, where it's there and it's not sometimes. Uh, like, right. And his voice is so, like, distinctive. So well, like, it yes, reminds it, me of it, him in Die Hard 3. You know how he would mm-hmm. switch back and forth. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think the thing that impresses me the most about his performance is that he's nailing that that hubris, that egotism of Vite. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, like he is like nailing that so hard, much harder, I think, than, than was done in Snyder's movie even, because that's something I thought Dazimandis in the movie was kind of missing, was that he didn't feel self assured, you know, he didn't have that ego, and I think 
Irons is really tapping into that. Oh, well. I mean, I can, you know, as far as the movie goes, like there's lots of things I like about it. I, I don't have anything against Matthew Good, but I do think I think he was miscast in the role. Honestly, I don't think he, as far as what that character needed, I don't. If he played it now, I think he'd do better just because he's older. I think he was too right. old at the time right. to play that role. Yeah. Um, I agree. He's a good actor. I've seen him good and uh, do well in other roles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I thought he was. I agree. I mean, it, it's he's ten years later. He's older now. It would be good casting, I think, if you need another. But regardless, I, I brought up the accident because I, I don't mind it. At the same time, I'm thinking, well, Vite, Vite has like what Germanic root. Like he could. Jeremy Irons could just use his regular voice if he wanted to for this role. Like I, I, I see the effort he's putting into some of the, like the American verbiage that's going on here. It's like, eh, all right, you're 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 hitting it hard. I mean, he's not doing a bad job. It just sticks out to me every time I hear. It's like, okay, all right. He uh, he tells Mr. Phillips he's going. In, uh, another Mr. Phillips walks up to him while he is stomping on the frozen corpse of the first Mr. Phillips, and uh, says, uh, "What what went wrong, Master?" He goes. I think this time we're going to need a thicker skin. But I like how he walks up to him and he's like, uh, what you got there? Yeah, like what's up, boss? That, <laughs> while he's like going insane, like kicking this thing, he just, the actor, he just plays it all so well. Like, you know, like it's such a cartoon. Like, huh, what's, what's going on? What you got? And, it, you know, and he's got this, I got to get this rascally rabbit or whatever thing, you know. I got to get this thing done, and he's and he's so angry about it, and it's such yeah, a it's contrast. Cartoonish. Yeah, it's, it's so cartoonish to what we what we just gone through, right? Every time we get to right. him, it's that it's that moment. It changes tone. Well, we see Vite up on uh, Bucephalus go riding past a scythe, and tied to the scythe is what Rich was referring to uh, earlier: uh, skull and crossbones, uh, a white on black, just like the Black Freighter. Uh, the comic within a comic from the original Watchmen, um, and he he's like goes past that uh, size and sees a field of bison. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you know, I don't think he's in Wales anymore. No, yeah, he he entered, he entered some <laughs> Red Dead Redemption Two DLC content. Ah, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So it's a new mod I've seen. It's the Watchmen mod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Now it's on PC. All the mods will be coming. Um, he takes uh, he takes a bison down with one arrow. Really nice shot, like right to the eye. A bull's eye. <clears throat> yeah. Ah. And um, as he goes down, he's down. He pulls a skinning knife out, and as he's walking down, he somebody shoots at him at his feet. And we see a guy on horseback. Now I, I froze frame on this. It's a guy on horseback wearing a black mask and a hat, black mm-hmm. hat as well. I have another part of my theory here. I think that Manhattan did what I said, imprisoned him on Mars in his own terrarium where he has got this agreement to keep him happy as long as he doesn't break the rules. And I think the clones are provided by Manhattan. And I think actually Mr. Phillips is John. That's what John looked like in the show. Um, before he became Dr. Manhattan, because he's not Billy Crudup, obviously. Um, and the uh, groundskeeper is actually the actual Mr. Phillips original clone, or it's actually Dr. Manhattan. So that's my... I, I, I agree that... Um, I Part of my theory is that I think the, the groundskeeper... Uh, the game warden. The game warden, yes. Well, I don't know. I don't think he's the game warden. I think he's just one of them. 
but I think well, he he's refers also to him as the game. Oh, I see what right. you're saying. Okay, the, okay, yeah, yeah. the separation. I don't, I, think he, I don't think he's the one who wrote the letter. God, right? I, yeah, no, now I got you. I hear you. Well, maybe he is. I don't know. Either way. But I, I agree that he probably, I think he is also Mr. Phillips' clone. Yes, that's... Um, I think, I don't think he's on Mars. I think he's still in, in Antarctica. That's, yeah, that's, that's what I was about. That's what I I think, I think I agree with Rich. I agree with Rich. It might be a terrarium type situation, but I think, you know, he, he wanted to, somehow either Manhattan or somebody wanted him contained. Mm-hmm. And this was the way to do it. And that's why the the uh, the body comes back frozen because it's been frozen in the ocean. Obviously, it could be frozen from Mars as well. I mean, because the whole body was stiffly frozen. That's why Mars sense. makes more sense to me. Yeah, that's why space makes more sense. But I, I would I, mean, all, I would just also contend nobody can find him if he's on Mars. You can find him if he's in Antarctica. Yeah, I suppose so. That's my other thought there. I mean, it's going to be some other stupid thing, and we're going to be like, oh, we're all dumb, but, you know. It's, it's less than <laughs> finding Mars thing him. makes sense to me for now. Yeah. It's less about somebody finding him, though, because think about it. You got this guy. Look what he did. If you're going to imprison him, don't imprison him on the planet where he tried to do what he did, and it backfired, you know? Well, I mean, if, but if Manhattan's putting constant watch on him, I mean, I don't right. know he's going to yeah. do at that point. And he already, it's not like, I mean, obviously there's something going on that probably involves Ozzy in some way, but at the same time, I mean, he did the squid thing once. I mean, what else can he do? <laughs> we'll, we'll, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Well, I mean... Well, I, guess, I mean, just, actually, come to think of if he's having problems just getting clones out there, I can't imagine what he's doing on a greater, like, how he connects to Tulsa if he does at all. Like, I, I don't know what other scheme he could possibly have being operated on if he can't even, like, get out of right. his own quarters. It doesn't right necessarily have to connect. It doesn't yeah. have to, no. I, I think he's, he's does, clearly, though. like, a Black Freighter side story thing going on. Yeah. Well, no, because my theory is the Black Freighter allegory in this is the, um, the Heroes TV show. What, uh... Yeah, that's what I think. But I, sure. I do think yeah. it's yeah. going to connect with the other stories. Somehow this is going to converge. Yeah, oh, it probably will. Going it just, to. I'm just, I don't I'm not, think yeah. it has to. Yeah, I, it doesn't. No, I, I just, I don't, well, I don't think Ozymandias is necessarily a key component in the things that are going on. It's probably a Manhattan thing for sure. After, after, um, I mean, in the in the actual Black Freighter comic, um, the guy you know kills. He, he ends up um, his his crew gets destroyed by the Black Freighter. He's the only survivor, and he has to make. A raft to save himself out of dead bodies, right? Mm-hmm. And then he floats into the town, and because he's been driven like crazy by his thing, he ends up killing a lot of the people in the town because he thinks that they're also pirates. And he realizes the black freighter was coming for him, and he swims toward the black freighter and is taken away to live the rest of his days there, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's why that allegory is being used by the game warden. Yeah, that's something... a good point. He's trapped in the Black Freighter, just like that that pirate was in the story. Plus, this is where we get the, the two Easter eggs, the flag we've seen, and then the uh, stamp, the signet right. on the back of the letter from the uh, right. game warden. So um, We see Ozymandias back in his uh, room, uh, crisscross applesauce on the table. And uh, Mrs. Crookshanks comes in, bringing a letter, as Rich said, with a wax seal of the skull and crossbones on it, uh, from the game warden. And uh, Ozymandias says, let's see what our adversary has to say. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, the uh, game warden talks about the terms of his captivity and that he has uh, been drawn to his attention and may be trying to violate those terms of his captivity. And uh, the, the next time uh, he shot at him, he will be, not be shooting at his feet. 
This is his first and only warning. Real quick, I have to get going, unfortunately. Um, I was happy to be able to step in with you guys and talk about it as much as I can. I will say, because you'll get to the space junk eventually, the literal space junk, I don't think there's going to be anything funnier that I've seen on television this year than that moment. Uh, Just put that up there. Um, Unless the show does something else to (laughs) be as an amazing reveal as that was. Uh, That's that's my two cents on that part that you'll get to eventually. But uh, I'll hopefully uh, be able to talk with you guys next week about the uh, next week's episode. Well, there there are two different things you could be referring to, so... <laughs> the, Have a good night. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> See you. Ozymandias is, you know, says, Miss Crookshanks to the typewriter. <laughs> and uh says, Dear esteemed host, uh, I am no, you know, forest brigand. I am no Republic serial villain, which was a callback to the uh you know very last episode or the last issue of Watchmen. You know, before he says I did thirty five yes, minutes yes. ago. Uh, I assure you my activities are purely uh, uh, recreational in nature. And uh, he signs the, re- the uh, letter, all best wishes and encouragement, uh, Adrian Veet. And I knew that sounded familiar, so I looked it up. And sure enough, in the back matter of, uh, of Watchmen, in the Veet, uh, the Vite method, right, of, uh, you know, toning your muscles and stuff, that's how he signed the letter. To everyone who got in the Vite method. Nice. All best wishes and encouragement. So, uh, as soon as he dictates the letter, he tells Mr. Phillips to get his suit ready. He hunts again at midnight. And uh, while they're playing Ravel's Bolero, we see Ozzy all suited up in his purple and gold with the mask. And, uh, I don't know. It's believable. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, we transition from Ozymandias' face to Senator Keene's face. He's talking to the reporters. This is where, like I said before, he was saying that Oklahoma is his problem when they ask him about the Russians building an intrinsic field generator, trying to make their own Dr. Manhattan. Um, Lori and, uh, and uh, Petey show up. And, uh, Petey's bringing, in, uh, Lori coffee, and Lori's like, did you, uh, did you already drink that coffee, and that coffee? And he said, no. And she, and he even, Petey even cracks a joke to her, you know? Says, oh, can I get that autograph now? Or something like that. And she says, it's almost funny, Petey. Uh, Lori brings Angela coffee. Again, they're being very adversarial. Angela has the night owl goggles on, ironically enough, I suppose. Uh, and is going through the tunnel that the Seventh Cavalry used to get to, you know, Judd's uh, funeral. And Lori asks, you know, how far was it? You know, about three hundred feet from the gate. Um, and Lori is like, you know, I'm sorry. You know, kind of apology, kind of not really an apology, but it's like she's just like, look, usually, you know, when they say they have a dead man switch, they're lying because they never go to all the work of doing that. So I messed up. And I'm just like, yeah, you did. <laughs> she's, not, she's not like cutting her any slack at all. No, so they're being they're being very adversarial here. Um, she uh, then Lori goes on, says that you know she was out at the uh, the um, the crime scene of Jed's killing and she found uh, tire tracks and just like really what kind of vehicle? And she goes, oh no, vehicle. They were wheelchair tracks. Isn't that weird? And Angela, of course, you know. Uh, you know, it's getting a little more tense because, you know, everything with Will. And then uh, Lori is like, here's what else is weird. Um, 
she, uh, you know, went to Judd's house and found a closet compartment, you know, a secret compartment behind her closet. And Angela's like, well, why would you, why were you looking there? And she goes, well, my dad had a secret compartment in his closet. So I always check there. Sometimes it pans out. So I'm pretty sure we all know where she's talking about there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she said that all that was in there was like a mannequin and that, uh, you know, she insinuates that Angela might have gotten rid of something to save her buddy, you know, trying to protect him and stuff. Uh, you know, it's convenient that there's going to be no exhumation and no autopsy. And Lori goes on to say, you know, um, guys like your police chiefs, they tend to think of themselves as good guys. And uh, the people that try to protect them, they think themselves as good guys as well. But I eat good guys from breakfast, for breakfast. And there's just a pause for a moment. Then Angela feigns like being scared. <laughs> yeah, that was like, a nice moment. Ooh, and then pours out the coffee that Lori gave her down the hole. <laughs> Which I uh, I would have done anyway because that looked like gas station coffee. Yeah, I probably would have drank it. But anyway, she yeah she knows Angela found something there and she thinks she might have you know gotten it to save you know um, Judd from embarrassment or something right. I love that she's like ooh I'm so scared and then the final scene Laurie is sitting in the crypt by herself and they show her through the owl goggles. Mm-hmm. I wonder though if there's also a little bit of a she sees a kindred spirit also in another another woman trying to hide a secret to protect a powerful guy whether she wants to or not I mean but she's had to you know, protect one of these, you know, one of these guys who is in charge. So I wonder if there's also some of that in this as well. I wonder if part of the deal to let Dryberg live was that she would work for the FBI. Oh, for sure. And that she is identifying with Angela trying to protect her. Yeah. Judd, the way she protected, you know, Dan. Yeah. And also keeping the lie that the told as well uh, we go we show uh, uh it's a double uh scene it's laurie back in one of the uh dr manhattan booths and um she's finishing her story and she says uh, uh after all three of them went to hell you know a little girl uh, a, a little girl walked up and god is like who are you and this doesn't happen very often you know, that i don't recognize somebody and she goes um I was here all along. I was just behind those guys, and nobody noticed me. And uh, God is like, well, um, I, you know, I don't recognize you as one of my creations. Who are you? Um, and she says, uh, I'm the girl who threw the brick. And it brings back the, uh, brings it around from the beginning of the mm-hmm. story, the misdirection. The brick comes down, smashes God in the head, uh, smashes his brains through his nose, as she says. And uh, I love the way she she ends it. It says, "Good joke, everyone laughs," which is a line directly from Rorschach's journal about the comedian's death. Right. About the Pagliacci uh, joke that he tells about the comedian's death. Um, while she's telling the story, we see her go back to her motel room. She opens up her little silver case. Inside the silver case, we see. One issue of Esquire magazine <laughs> featuring the Silk Spectre and Dr. Manhattan. Nostalgia. And it, it actually says Silk Spectre. What is it? Silk Spectre does Manhattan. Yep. Yeah. Which yeah. is an obvious uh, Debbie, right. Debbie does Dallas type of joke. And a 
giant blue glowing marital aid, <laughs> shall we say. Um, it was very big. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with with a separate attachment that had to be. Yes, yeah, extra attachment. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, you know, all right, we get it. Yeah. It had attachments. How about that? Yeah. Leave it at that. That thing, was, to, that thing was quite intimidating, I must say. It was. It was. Mm-hmm. Especially not, when you consider not like to how big, oh. not to me. <laughs> not to you. <laughs> well, of course not to you. No. Daryl Seenfinger. Uh, That's right. Anyway, he goes to the gym in New York. He's, yeah. He, uh, but then she kind of, uh, we see her kind of put it away, mm-hmm. and then uh, knocks on Petey's door, and uh, we see her laying in bed with Petey. He's got the mask on, and he's passed out. She's, like, wide awake staring at the ceiling. Yeah. And evidently, she's making this call to John afterwards. Because it's the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. There's no one around. And uh, she's like, you know, you could just send, you know, you could just let me know that you're listening. You know, I've been talking to you all these years. She's a platinum you know? user. Yeah. 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 So um, she walks out disappointed and sad once again. And then all of a sudden, out of the sky... Comes Angela's car. <laughs> the brick. <laughs> Crashes right in front of her. The uh, brick. The second bit of space junk we see. Yeah. <laughs> and, but did anybody it, think of the thing, though, before? Like, she has a chance to be with uh, you know, her Dr. Manhattan, right? And then it got, she chooses kind of a Dan like guy, inst- you know, after, you know, instead. She, she, you know, she already had that, you know. I think it was just convenience. It's convenient, but I still, I, it still made me think of her choices she made in the book where right. she had that, but she, there was still something missing from it. And she went to Dan, who was just a normal guy. Like he's normal, normal, but I mean, compared to what she had, God, just right. about she, she went to a normal guy. Well, I'm, but, but, um, I guess, you know, she's so much like her dad in all the other ways. I thought that she was just kind of cold and indifferent. You know what I mean? As to that as well. Other than the physical stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, you know. Well, that's as close as she's going to get to Dan. I mean, yeah, because he's in prison. You know, she, he's trapped. He's there. She still, you right. can tell she still cares about him because she's probably doing all this for him. Um, to somehow help him. So, she can't be with him. So, he was just that. He was. I just thought of him as being close enough that she he reminded her of him a little yeah, bit, I and she wanted that. to touch that. She wanted to have a little bit of that. Also, um, he has a, a copy of Rorschach's journal by his bed, yeah, and it, his yeah. watch is at ten minutes to midnight when we see it. Um, so anyway, yeah, the, the car crashes down. I didn't see Will inside of it, no, because uh, it was crushed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she looks up and sees what looks like Mars. Yep. Like yeah. kind of blinking down at her and yeah. starts laughing. And that's the end of the episode. Bravo. Good. Uh, yeah. Bravo. So what do we think so what do we think happened with that car? Like do anybody have a theory of what they who they think did that? I don't think it was Doctor Manhattan. I think it has happens to be a And it still had Lord the, it still had his coffee cup in the plastic bag sitting in it. Thought that was nice. Yeah, but I mean, did anybody have a theory who they think it was, though? Or no, nothing yet. 
I don't, no. I don't, I, imagine, I don't have any Imagine idea. the Geico claim on this. <laughs> man. Uh, so, so you're saying a giant magnet uh, took a 112-year-old man right. in his wheelchair away. Hey, right. it's Oklahoma. That's a nice car in Oklahoma now. Right. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's episode three. She was killed by space junk. Mm-hmm. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, home run. It's amazing. I would, and I would say if people have not, of course you listen to this podcast first, but if you have not listened to the official Watchmen HBO podcast, do so. Because to hear from Lindelof talking about it himself, you get so much more out of it. Uh, watching it again. Then you, it'll make you want to watch the episodes again. They did one to three. For the first episode, they covered one episodes one to three and it really makes you go back and want to and you rewatch it and you catch things even more and it shouts out how they did this because it's amazing what they're doing so far and it, and they and it really lets you know that it's not just him doing the easter egg it's amazing the director she has been doing she is a, a another fan of Watchmen Nicole, Nicole Castle right and she's been putting a lot of these easter eggs in it Things that he didn't That's even awesome. think about, like, but he's been, she's been able to craft it, and because she's the director, what's, she's been able to craft it into the episodes. What's well. an example of one that was hers? He said just about every Watchmen reference that you can think of, that you see, or wow. me- or mentioned, she has pretty much been the one to go. After the script is written, she's the one to pretty much go. We put this here blue light even the blue light in like the first second episode or something where there's a blue light in one of the scenes she did that even the color scheme she would you know certain things she would do because she did they would go well there so i it's really i do really suggest you you listen to there better be some awards for this show because man it is amazing yeah absolutely i've been impressed more impressed by each episode as it happens. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it looked like from the previews for next week we're going to find out who Lady True is. Yeah, or yeah. at least meet her as a person. Um, it would be interesting to find out, you know, how she, if she ties in or how she ties into any of the other characters. Oh, I'm looking forward yeah, to it. Why she's so interested in Tulsa? Right. All these things. So awesome! So thank you for joining us this week on We Watch Watchmen, Daryl. Tell them where you are on the interwebs, please. Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, I'm on the Twitters at the Voice One Two Three, um, and of course you can. Uh, glad that you guys let me do a joint thing with you guys, so you can listen to this. You know, we watch Watchmen on the H H H L O D feed, and you can also listen to it on the Taylor Network feed as well. And uh, we have. You know, I get to podcast with Jim every uh, Sunday. Uh, we we cover all the TV and and movie news and and TV shows uh, that have been coming on and documentaries and all that cool stuff. Uh, and also, I get to podcast with Russ every week uh, when we cover Batman on Gotham by uh, Geeks, uh, covering all the Batman uh, comics and news and and animation and movies. We cover all that stuff. And sometimes when we're not doing this, we, uh, me and Chubb and, and Jim and us, we, we cover all the DC TV stuff. It's especially on the CW. Um, and you can also catch that on the, 
the DC All Stars feed. Russ, how about you, buddy? Uh, the same place you're here in this podcast right here, hhwlod.com, and uh, like like uh, Daryl mentioned, uh, Gotham by Geeks. And Chubb? Uh, I think Daryl already mentioned them all. This one, Walking Dead podcast, and then the DC All Stars, um, and then the internet uh, on all the socials at ChubbToad01. And uh, all, uh, all the other podcasts have been mentioned that I'm part of. Uh, what to add on that I'm going to be a guest on the Vox Popcast. It's on iTunes and Spotify if you want to check it out. So has to be a guest on there to talk about Watchmen, actually. Nice. Uh, pretty smart talk. Uh, a lot smarter than I should have been uh, I pay graded uh, into. But I was happy I was happy to be a guest there, uh, take up some space. Uh, also, you can find our D&D podcast at oldmagicgaming.com. Uh, we take our long D&D sessions, add them down to hour-long parcels, and put background music and, uh, and sound effects and stuff, and they're a lot of fun to listen to. So check that out as well, oldmagicgaming.com. So until next week, uh, tick-tock, tick-tock. It's a matter of time, I suppose. suggest we do about it retribution we can save this world why would i save the world i no longer have any stake in do it for me